Today, as we continue our journey through Isaiah, we are looking at just eight verses in chapter 10 as we prepare to receive communion in remembrance of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. So I'll be reading the scripture first, Isaiah 10, 20 through 27. On that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no longer lean on the one who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, were like the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, an overwhelming verdict. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in all the earth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians when they beat you with a rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while my indignation will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. The Lord of hosts will wield a whip against them, as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. His staff will be over the sea, as he will lift it, as he did in Egypt. On that day, his burden will be removed from your shoulder, and his yoke will be destroyed from your neck. In all of chapter 10, the emphasis continues to be on those in Judah who are not living with integrity before God. Those who make bad laws, who rob their neighbors of receiving equal chances to thrive as they themselves have generously had. The emphasis is also, though, on Assyria due to hubris, to pride of Assyria's leaders, this superpower is pretty much looking to take over the whole world. And in this chapter, Isaiah reminded the people how Assyria is really just a tool in God's hand to bring consequence to Israel and Judah. And there's a contrast here that is named between the power Assyria claims to have and the absolute divine sovereignty of Yahweh. And it's a reminder that there is no power, there is no group that is more mighty than God, never at all. Even when it seems everything is lost or there is no hope. Now let's remember that these words come in the time before the exile. And in the words that we just read, Isaiah is giving a picture of what it will be like when the exile is over. Now, this is one of the hallmarks of this particular prophet. A beautiful hallmark, actually. Even when forecasting a terrible storm that will surely drench all the people, Isaiah holds an umbrella over them. Or he reminds them of the beautiful wildflowers that will come. This is what our words are today. 
In a chapter where God is foretelling destruction brought by the fire of the Holy One, Isaiah offers an honest picture, a good picture, of the time that the exiles will come home. So I invite us to ponder three ideas from this passage today. First, in this chapter, there are a few times where Isaiah talks about where it is that people get their help. This morning, we sang, where does my help come from? That's what this chapter asks. If you read the whole chapter, where do people get their help? And in the beginning of chapter 10, Isaiah says, you know, when lawmakers write bad laws, when they make life harder for everyday people, when those in control rob others what they should rightly have access to, how are they going to explain their actions when they see God? God, who has already seen their wickedness, wonders where they're going to turn to for help when they are facing him. When their end comes, where are they going to run to for help? Their money and their position will no longer save them. Likewise, what will happen when Assyria finally does fall? God asks this question. God says there's going to be punishment for them. There's always a day of reckoning for all of us. And in this buildup, Isaiah reminds the people that when they return home after the exile, which hasn't yet happened, it's confusing, that what will happen is that they will truly have learned to depend on the Lord. Because in this situation, God is using this massive country to overpower Judah on purpose. It is God's will for the people to go into exile. Because they have to hit rock bottom. They need to know that they can't keep living contrary to the God they promised to follow. And when they finally come home, look at what Isaiah says will be the hallmark of their lives. They will trust in God. Finally, with all that they are, they will no longer lean on the ones who held them hostage. They will lean on the Lord. I, uh, verse 20 says they will finally depend on God's truth. It's hard for us to comprehend how God works. God allows many things that we struggle in life through. What does he cause? What does he simply not stop? Where does he protect us even when we can't see it? There are situations where God allows natural consequences and maybe we deserved it and maybe we didn't. But these things can sometimes defeat us Someone else beats us out for a promotion or a job or an award or we suffer long-term physical hardship or we get divorced or we're estranged from relationships we thought would sustain us. We're treated unfairly or quite rudely or we're made to feel unwelcome in a place we thought we would be loved. Maybe we're part of a group who is at the mercy of a powerful few. These are exile situations. And either because we don't have the power to leave 
or make things different or we are so beaten down that we don't think that leaving is an option or God hasn't provided a way out. God is saying when it's over, when we come back to him, when we come out of a situation where we were powerless, we need to keep our eyes fully on the Lord, the Holy One, because it is the Lord who saves us. It is not ourselves. It is always the Lord. Perhaps it is because we have learned that only God is faithful and only by his truth we are set free in those moments. We are so grateful that we understand what trusting the Lord really is about. In this era of the church age, God is not going to step into every bad situation that we encounter. We know that. There are times it's going to seem that we are up against a powerful enemy And we are all alone. And perhaps like Judah, we have found ourselves in a place we don't want to be. Taken captive by an enemy who would destroy us. Except for the grace of God. Yet that same God is allowing our foes to bring us to a place of humility and surrender and deeper knowledge of the God who suffers with us. For whatever exile we are going through... We never go alone. We never enter into the wilderness without God going with us and beside us and in front of us and behind us. Because if we did, we wouldn't survive. God goes before us always and then brings us home in his time. The second idea found in verse 21 is this. God's grace makes it possible to live through the unimaginable And there are always those who find God through it. There's a word here that we want to think about. The word is remnant. When we think about remnants, we might think about scraps at the fabric store. Or parts left behind of something that we didn't really need anymore or want anymore. We took or bought what was necessary and left the remnant behind. It was saved because maybe another person would find it useful. Reuse, renew, recycle, all that. But biblically, a remnant are those people who remain faithful to God, no matter what circumstances they find themselves in. So in that sense, the remnant actually has enormous value to God. They're not just the leftover people. They're the ones who found a way to know and to love God against great odds. They stayed even when life was hard, even when their journey wasn't always in the upward trajectory, even when they doubted, even when it was very, very difficult for them to feel God or know or believe that he was good. Isaiah says there will be a day when God will turn toward Judah with compassion and peace. And the question that is hanging out there but not asked is, on that day, who will be left? Who will be the remnant? That's what Isaiah is asking. Think about the various places we see this idea in Scripture. Jesus teaches about it. Many will choose to leave when life gets difficult, but blessed are those who trust him until the end. We read about those who keep believing 
In Revelation, even when the tribulation is described and it's awful, Noah and his family are very distinct remnants as are Lot's family as they flee Sodom and Gomorrah. Even the disciples who made their way back to Jesus after the crucifixion are among the few left from the huge crowds that follow Jesus all over the place. Now, Isaiah is looking forward to a day when those who remain faithful to God, no matter what is happening around them, will be restored to new life. And Isaiah says, you were once as numerous as grains of sand at the sea, but now only a small portion will return. God says the road will be long. The verdict of destruction makes its mark. For those who endure, who don't fall prey to the world around them, who can somehow keep trusting and moving forward with the Lord, even when there is little reason to do so, who remember who they are and whose they are, God will welcome them home. Now, there's an underlying idea here also about how we lament, about how life used to be. All of us do that. Sometimes we long to go back to a time that we loved. It wasn't perfect, but maybe we felt that things were right. And in a situation like exile or a wilderness wandering or where there is grief, when something has been foisted upon us in a way that we don't like or want, we're presented with a choice. We can get stuck wanting that thing that is clearly no longer possible. Or we can look to see what new thing God is doing. We should lament and cry and grieve, but let us not get fixated or stuck or lost in such a way that we miss the new thing that God is doing. Because out of every death, there is resurrection. That's what the cross is about. In all death, God raises us to new hope. It's not just about salvation. It's about all circumstances, all creation, all relationships. When the exiles finally come home, nothing was the same. Not their place, not their community, not themselves. Not the way they viewed God. Only God was the same, but their understanding had gone through a great metamorphosis. Lastly, the people are told not to be afraid. That's something that we are often reminded of in Scripture. We're such fearful people, understandably so. It's okay. And God is speaking here, and with understanding and compassion, the Lord says, don't be afraid of those who have harmed you in the past. Don't fear the Assyrians who treated you harshly. He reminds them of the Egyptians. He reminds them of the way that he parted the Red Sea. This is another reminder how God is over all. God will demand an accounting for those who dealt harshly with others. And this is an easy thing to hear, but challenging to hold on to because we are naturally afraid of those who have hurt us. And we don't read this as God saying, well, yeah, now that the trauma is over, you should be happy and go on. Nope. We still go through the process of deep healing. We still continue to come to the well where God binds up our wounds and meets us in deep, profound ways. That takes a long time. 
But the promise here is of deliverance and peace for those who trust in a mighty God. So as we ponder what this means for us today, let us remember how the emphasis here is not on the people returning to Judah as much as it is they're returning to God. This is about repentance and how people live together with one another in a worshiping community, honoring the Lord, even when life is difficult. And so as we read this, may we want to be people who are part of a remnant. May we want to survive this life with our faith intact. May we want to, at the end, be counted as the believers who come before God face to face and weep, and weep for the hard and the beautiful things that we experienced on earth. May we want Jesus to look at us and tell us how much he understands, how much he died for those things. May we want to stand with our brothers and sisters from all over the world who faced so much hardship for the gospel were persecuted and downtrodden and beaten and killed. May we want to rejoice with them at God's life fully given for them. If Christ has given his life for ours, may we want to do everything we can to live for him no matter what it takes, no matter how hard or painful or grievous or upsetting or unjust regardless of how much we will lament what we have lost or how scary the future looks or how angry we are at the current state of affairs. God has chosen humans to look to Jesus for our salvation and for hope, and we want to be part of the faithful no matter who is coming with us. So may we want to keep telling others about God and telling the story of how Jesus has saved us and loved us and healed us and walked with us and provided miracles for us and has given us lives that we never could have dreamed or replicated with such goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this scripture. Thank you, Lord. May we want to be your people. May that be the desire of our hearts, God, more than anything. And we thank you, God, for this time of remembering your body, your blood, your life given so that we could be part of your body. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.